Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You, Me, Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 185 on defining our own success, self-empathy, and late bloomers with Dory Shafrir. Dory and I, in this episode, talk about being a late bloomer. We talk about the societal uh, and personal constructs of what being a late bloomer is, having empathy for past versions of ourselves, and Dory's new memoir, Thanks for Waiting, The Joy and Weirdness of Being a Late Bloomer. I read the book. It's wonderful. It is available for pre-order now, and it's out tomorrow. I highly recommend the book. It's wonderful. It's really meaningful. I cried a little bit. It's deeply personal to Dory, and I'm just so proud of her and the book, and, um, you know, one of the main takeaways of it is is having empathy for self, which is something I talk about a lot and in workshops. So, highly, highly recommend. Thanks for waiting. You can uh, order it at bookshop.org or go to the show notes for this episode at feelyhuman.co. In this episode, Dory and I also talk about uh, the anxiety and stress of releasing a new book into the world. And we talk about, gosh, what do we talk about? We talk about identity. We talk about the gulf between how we perceive ourselves and how others perceive us. We talk about Dory's late bloomer experiences and my own. We talk about the systems that sort of keep us in place and keep us in the shoulds such as the patriarchy, capitalism, etc. We talk about our mutual love of the mountain goats. We talk about Forever 35, Dory and Kate Spencer's podcast. Wonderful podcast. I highly recommend that podcast. We talk about Harriet the Spy and being, quote, so sensitive and so much more. Highly recommend this conversation. I really enjoyed it. I know you will too. Please order Dory's book. Thanks for waiting. You can pre-order it today. And if you're listening to this after today, it's out. Highly recommend it. Before we get to the episode, though, I wanted to just say a, a couple of things. One is, the main thing is that I am taking the next month off from recording and from releasing new episodes, which is new for me. Haven't done this before. I feel a bit anxious about it, but... No, not but. And I also feel very grateful and excited to rest and reset a little bit. I love this show. I will always want to do this show. And I also need a break from time to time, you know. So I'm taking the month of July off. Uh, but don't you fret. Starting back in August, 
new episodes will be uh, resuming with guests like Amanda Crew from Silicon Valley, therapist Anjani Amladi, Caleb Campbell, Jen Winker on on Death Doulaine, Margaret Burton, Nadia Okamoto, and uh, a few others already booked. But uh, yeah, so look out for that. I'm just taking some time off. I'm actually in a couple of days. Actually, no, as of today, I'm on a road trip uh, up the coast of California, and I'm very excited. I will be in Portland and Sacramento, and uh, just just very excited for that. But um, what else do I want to say? So I wanted to say that. The other thing is that on July 16th, once I'm back, the next uh, workshop for Feeling Human is is happening July 16th at 4 p.m. Pacific time. It's the Illustrating Empathy workshop that I've led before. If you want to think about empathy critically and think about self-empathy, um, which is very much aligned with Dory's book, I highly recommend this workshop. I lead it. It's about 90 minutes, costs 10 bucks to join. And uh, it's July 16th. So hope to see you there. If you want to sign up for that, go to illustratingempathy.com or go to feelyhuman.co. Click on the workshops tab and click on illustrating empathy. And I guess the last thing I will say is please, please support this show by either supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash feelyhuman or the easiest way to do it is to leave ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts if you haven't done that, please do it. It does truly help out the show. And uh, I love reading your reviews. So that's it. That is the intro. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a feely human. And I will just say, which is something that Dory had said in this conversation, you're blooming right on time for you. There's no other... Uh, whatever you're thinking that... Uh, is is sort of telling you that you're not or you know the fucking patriarchy or capitalism or 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 sexism or whatever is making you feel like you're you're behind or you're i don't know you're you're not good enough or something and you know you're starting to compare yourself to others and and the success of others you define what is success for you and you're blooming right on time so take that with you. Take that into your heart. It is true. And uh, okay, thanks for listening to this episode. Enjoy my conversation with Dory Shafrir on defining our own success, self-empathy, and late bloomers. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we face as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. 
The intent of Yumi Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can hand in hand break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I am so immeasurably thankful to have waited for this joyful moment to be here with the Harriet the Spy of our time, fellow late bloomer, co-host of the Forever 35 podcast, and author of the new book, Thanks for Waiting. It's Dory Shafrir. Hello, Dory. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so excited to have you. I was just telling you off air that I, uh, I read your book. It's wonderful. It's lovely. It it made me tear up a couple times even, oh. uh, and we'll get into that. But like, I, I related very hard to your book. Oh, good. Well, thank you. That really means a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so let's do an emotional check-in. We always kick off the show with an emotional check-in. How, how are you feeling? You know, we're talking uh, about three, a little less than three weeks before my book comes out. Yeah. And it is a rather stressful time if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, you know, I'm starting to get people like you saying, Oh, I've read your book and I, and I liked it. And, and that's always, I think that's like the most stressful, at least for me, that's the most stressful time because I'm like, okay, my book is starting to be out there just in terms of like media and people are actually reading this very personal and vulnerable thing that I'm putting out into the world. And my previous book was a novel and I kind of felt like, okay, if people don't like my novel, that's fine. They just didn't like my novel. But when people don't like your memoir, <laughs> then it sort of feels like they don't like you and your life. So uh, I think yeah. that's that's kind of, uh, sorry, this is a very long-winded answer, but I think that is part of the source of my anxiety right now is this feeling of like, what are people going to think? Yes. Uh, so relatable, that feeling. Um I, you know, there is like a, it makes sense. Like the, the, the fiction is like, there's a, there's an armor up there, right? Like totally. you're the author, but like, you're not the characters, right? You're not the, yes. yeah. So that, that makes total sense to me. And I, that's kind of like a, a running theme in the book itself, which is like being a late bloomer, being someone who um, does battle. I personally battle myself with like, what are they going to think? Right? Like what are, yes. that's a, that's a very human struggle and pain. Um, so I just wanted to relate to you in that way and know that oh, like you're you. not alone, truly. Thank you. I appreciate that. But I I should also say like you you put out a book, which is wonderful. Like you you made the thing that you wanted to make and it's successful and I see it as successful, right? But like Thank you. <laughs> that's that's the challenge, right? Is like how can we as creators, as people who put stuff out in the world, determine our own success. Like what we define that, right? Totally. Yes. And that's a really hard, for me, that's always been a hard kind of metric because I feel like I've always been really hard on myself, Mm. which I think is another thing that 
kind of comes out in the book. And so I, I know that my kind of standards for judging me are probably kind of skewed and what, you know, the outside world might deem as successful, you know, to me, I'm like, oh, that, you know, that didn't go well. And I'm trying, like, that has been an ongoing theme throughout my life. And I think I've gotten better with that. Mm -hmm. But when it's something that feels so high stakes, like, like this book, I think that tendency tends to kind of come out again. Yeah. Do you find that so for me, like I find that things are things can sort of like get they can kind of blow out of proportion anxiety wise, stress wise, stress wise when I'm not like doing the digging and investigating them, like to trying to get down into like the specificity of like, okay, why is this happening? Because I, I feel like when I'm able to do that, there's space for there's a little space for like curiosity and a little space for like some gentleness in there because yeah, for sure. when we can sort of unpack it, like there's like, oh, well, that's a little silly and, and, and maybe we can sort of challenge ourselves a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's true. Um, I mean, even just like talking it through now in the past few minutes has <laughs> made me kind of realize some things. So thank you. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean it, it's hard, and I, I, I just, I'm just curious, like what, what has helped you in maybe sort of quelling some of that anxiety, and you know maybe it's maybe it's talking to friends, maybe it's like you know your husband helping, sort of like saying, hey, you did a thing or whatever. Like, what yeah. are the things that help you and sort of ground you? Um, talking things through with my husband does help a lot. Um, I think, but I think sometimes I don't even sort of realize how stressed I am. And then <laughs> it takes him being like, what is going on for me to be like, like, he's like, is there something specific that is stressing you out right now? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, there is actually like this happened just a couple of days ago. I was in a terrible mood and feeling very anxious and stressed and he was like, are you just generally stressed about your book or is there like something mm. specific going on? And I was like, well, like my book publicist wants me to write this or my, you know, the whole sort of publicity team at my publisher wants me to write this essay. And I'm realizing that like, I don't really agree with the premise. And, and I just kind of like talked it through, but I hadn't really pinpointed what it was until he like asked me that specific question. Um, so yeah, so that helps. I mean, doing Harbor 35, uh, the podcast that I do with Kate Spencer helps also because that gives us, you know, like a forum to talk about stuff. Um, friends. Yeah. I mean, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I, I'm realizing as I'm starting to get out into the world a little bit more, I'm kind of realizing how much I missed being with friends. Mm -hmm. Like I think for a long time, during the pandemic, I was kind of like, just to get through it, I had to be like, I'm fine. Like I, I, you know, I'm fine just being virtual with my friends. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And now that I'm starting to get like this taste of like going out <laughs> to dinner and I'm like, oh, I, I really missed this. Yes. Uh, there's a couple of things there. First, like 
you know, Matt, your husband being, I mean, we're, we're mirrors for each other, right? Like we mm-hmm. sometimes, like, especially the people that know us best, you know, my, my partner, Jessica does that for me. Like when I'm feeling, well, often, not often, but like some, like I have depression and sometimes she picks up on it before I do. So like, mm-hmm. just a reminder that like, we need people, like we need people yeah, like that, you totally. know? Uh, and then the other thing is like, um, I feel you on the sort of like getting out of, of quarantine and the pandemic and like the, the feeling of like, um, telling yourself it's going to be fine because that's, it's, it's in a way like a survival tool, right? Mm-hmm. Like, cause like really the thing that we all experience globally, collectively, individually is like a thing we've never done before. So like, I I have been giving myself and friends and, and people I've talked to a lot of like grace and kindness because we've never done the thing, right? And so like, yeah. however we like experience the thing or get through the thing, whatever we tell ourselves is probably okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about this concept of late bloomer because mm-hmm. I I... It's something that I've always felt and mm-hmm. I'll I'll tell you a little bit about like how I relate to it. So like I you you talk a lot about in the book uh about your experiences dating and like mm-hmm. all of that um which I found very entertaining by the way uh Thank and you. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um the 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 piece that like I relate to is like I I grew up in uh an e- evangelical Christian home. Oh wow. where where like sex and those types of things were like off limits, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. talk about them. Masturbation was a sin. You're going to mm-hmm. hell if you do such a thing, you know? So like there's this deep shame that that leads to a lot of this. Um, well, for me, it led to a lot of like, I don't know how to do relationships. I don't know how to like open my heart up to people, you know, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. And it led to not a lot of like experience with like um dating not a lot of experience with relationships you know there was a few yeah. uh but like my 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 wife who we've been married for 11 years now like really has been sort of crucial in that sort of growth for me and i i just wonder i i guess i, I i'm curious like as to you like how how do you define what late bloomer is for yourself and like um, maybe talk a little bit about like where that came from, like you know, you as a little kiddo, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the things that I do try to get across in the book is that the whole concept of being a late bloomer is kind of a both a societal construct and something that we impose on ourselves. So yep. I don't think that there is like an objective, you know, data-driven definition of being a late bloomer. Um, And you can feel like you're a late bloomer in some aspects of your life and not in others. Um, So I don't think that there's like an immutable definition of being a late bloomer. I think for me, I started feeling like a late bloomer in like my mid thirties, my mid to late thirties. And it kind of started with a lot of social stuff like feeling like I was going to all these weddings and I was single and you know I was the 
I was the oldest. I'm the oldest in my family. I'm the oldest of three. And my sister, who's seven years younger, got married when, you know, when I was single and then my brother got married and then people were having kids. And I was like, and, and I felt like I'm still like living in apartments and not, I wasn't, I'd broken up with a boyfriend when I was 33 and hadn't really dated anyone that seriously since. And I was just like, I like, is my life moving forward? Like, and I yeah. just started asking myself those questions. And then, you know, then that also leads to the sort of meta question of like, what does having your life move forward mean? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, certainly there are many people who don't get married and who live in apartments. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. is not a marker of some sort of forward movement. Um, but I think I just started asking myself all those questions. Um, and then with the career stuff, it was interesting because ever since I was in my like mid to late twenties, I was, I just was like, Oh, I like, I work in media. I'm a journalist. This is what I do. I'm kind of moving towards this ambiguous goal of like, I don't know, running something like it, it was never really clear, but it just felt like, Oh, I'll just keep getting promoted. I'll keep getting, you know, better jobs, et cetera, et cetera. And then, at some point, again, kind of in my late thirties, I was like, wait a second, like, is this, is this what I want? Like, is this what I'm want to be doing? And then that led to all kinds of like, again, like meta questions of like, what is ambition? What yeah. is it? You know, I always saw myself as an ambitious person, but now I don't want to do this anymore. What is, what does that mean for like my own identity? Um, so anyway, this, again, very long winded answer to your question, but I think for me, um, a lot of this was also about coming to terms with the idea that even though for a time I had like defined myself as a late bloomer, I was kind of blooming, if you will, <laughs> like right on time for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that I think that I hope that that is one of the takeaways that people have from the book. It is. I mean, it's certainly uh was for me and i i i think what's like so crucial about exploring this concept of late bloomer is is you're right it's like we decide what is you know how we bloom and when we bloom and yeah. what is right you know and and also there's so much uh you mentioned cultural there's so much intersectionality at play in regards yes. to uh, the patriarchy, in regards to, you know, capitalism and business and Hollywood and all these forces at play that, like, want to, I don't know, just want to put us on a timeline or want to put us on, like, want to pit us against each other, want us yes. to compare, right? And, and it's, it takes a lot of effort and mindfulness and a great deal of, I think, vulnerability to say, Fuck that. Yeah. I, I choose what it looks like for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I mean, I mean, even like, even, yeah, like to your, to your point, like even the, the idea of like late bloomer, even that, that term itself is, holds a lot of, uh, taboo, holds a lot of like holding back. Right. It, it's, uh, yeah. It's a limiting thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. and as you say, it comes with a lot of like cultural expectations. Like, mm -hmm what metrics am I evaluating my late bloomerdom yeah. on? Um, you know, it's a very 
American white upper middle class perspective. Um, and that's something that I've also tried to examine and interrogate in the last few years as well. Mm. There's another piece of it that's kind of hard to to unravel sometimes, which is the identity piece, right? Like we begin mm-hmm. to think like, oh, I am a late bloomer. And this yes. like, right? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, what was funny too is like some of my close friends, when I told them about the book, they were like, you're not a late bloomer. I never saw you as a late bloomer. Mm. And that's that was always really interesting to me too, because again, I think that this gets back to, you know, the 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 gulf between how we perceive ourselves and how others perceive us, and of course, the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. Um, so, and then you know, whenever I would have these conversations, I would kind of explain to them, well, this is why you know I I saw myself as a late bloomer, and you know, at this time when you thought I was, you know, just going full speed ahead and really confident doing well, I was actually deeply insecure and, you know, kind of explaining to them like, you know, the, and that's another thing that I do talk about in the book is like feeling like the person that I presented to the world wasn't necessarily my authentic self. Mm. I was afraid to put my authentic self out there because I didn't like, I didn't think I liked myself enough to put it out there. Mm. How are you with those feelings nowadays? You know, I think it's it I think it's a constant kind of evolution, right? Like yeah. every time I'm like, oh, I'm so much better. Like I don't have these kind of like body dysmorphia issues anymore. I like I'm so much more secure in who I am. Then like something will come up where I'm kind of like transported back to those feelings again. So I I do think that while I'm much more aware of them and I have come really far, unfortunately, or for like, I guess it's just is what it is. These are things that are part of me and they will probably never fully go away. And Mm. all I can do is, you know, kind of, again, like be aware of them. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Awareness is crucial. Yeah. And, and not fighting the things, uh, totally. not resisting, right? A lot of suffering comes in the, re- in the resisting of, you know, certain truths that we yes. just can't shed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like I, as a society, we, we do want to like, um, I don't know. Let's let's move on from the trauma. Let's. Mm. Oh, I I went to therapy. Let's check the box on that thing. But totally. the reality is, it's very messy, and and we're yes. going to be triggered because the world is wild and bonkers and a mystery, and like we don't know how tomorrow is going to be, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And like sometimes things that seem unrelated to our past traumas trigger us in ways that we're just not expecting. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think kind of sitting with the pain and sitting with the trauma and sitting with the, you know, the hard times that we went through or that we're going through, that is something that I have learned, I think, to do a better job with. I think before I was 
just so consumed with like minimizing the pain and mm. putting on the brave face. <laughs> and now I'm like, I'm sad or I'm really mad or, you know, I, I'm really trying to, I guess, ultimately like live more authentically in that sense. I love that. I'm so happy to hear that. And I, um, I, I, you know, when you say that, I think of your, you know, your, uh, role as a mom, right? Like, mm-hmm. and you showing up as a person who has big feelings sometimes and who does struggle sometimes. And like, yes. I, I don't have kids. Uh, we tried for years and it didn't happen. Uh, but all of my friends have kids and I, I, I talk to them all about how crucial it is to just allow for your kids to see you being human. Yes. Yes, totally. Um, I think you're right. I think having a kid has made me, it, it, I, I don't, well, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for me, at least it made me kind of re-examine the ways I had been taught to minimize my own feelings Yeah, and to feel like, you know, I could, I knew that it upset my mom, especially if I seemed sad or depressed mm-hmm. and so you know i i didn't want to seem sad or depressed around her um and i don't want my son to feel like he can't show those feelings around me and so i think it's important like you said to also show those feelings to yeah. him yeah kids are sponges they they totally. pick up so much more than we we are willing to accept, <laughs> I think. Yeah. I, I, last year I wrote, um, I don't know if it's going to amount to anything. I, I've been trying, but I, I wrote a picture book about this whole oh, cool. idea. And the opening sequence is a kid who, uh, sort of walks in on his parents, uh, having a big fight, right? Mm. And he gets upset, uh, yeah. and he sort of runs out the r- room and, or he runs out the room after the mother says, uh, you're fine, you're fine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is such a minimizing thing. It's yes. such like to a to a child, that's, that's telling them like, oh, like being upset is not okay. I can't cry, right? right? Yeah, I have exactly. to be, I have to shove this stuff down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did a lot of that as a kid, uh, as you know, I, I was a violent father and all that stuff. So I was like, hunker down, like protect yourself. Yeah. You know, it's taken a lot of work, therapy, medication, et cetera, to like find my truth and accept mm-hmm. the fact that like I am a sensitive person and that's a beautiful thing and not a, not a burden anymore. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's actually something that Kate and I were just talking about on Forever 35. I, feel like when I was growing up, if I, if I said something that was too like emotional or I responded to something in a way that was emotional, the, Mm. the reaction to me was often, you're so sensitive. Mm -hmm. Gosh, you're so sensitive. Like, why are you so sensitive? And so I obviously like internalize that like a oh i'm really sensitive and b being sensitive is bad yep and c i shouldn't show that i'm feeling sensitive 
And now years later, I'm like, well, wait a second. <laughs> like, of course I'm sensitive. And being sensitive, I think, has made me more empathetic. And that's why I'm a writer, you know, like all yep. these things that I kind of saw or I was, you know, taught to see as negatives, I'm now realizing like not just made me who I am, but like are not things that I should be ashamed of. Nope. Yeah. They're superpowers. Yeah. I I and it's an interesting juxtaposition here, like you being this sensitive kid and sensitive person and, and maybe feeling like you had to hide that sensitivity. And on the other hand, you're, you know, you're just devouring books, mm -hmm. Harriet the Spy, etc. And I've always felt, you know, being a big reader myself, books are sort of portals of empathy, like they are empathy yeah. machines, right? Just like movies are like they like I know for me, and I'd love to hear about your sort of relationship to Harriet the Spy and reading and stuff. Like for me, it was like escape. It was like, I'm Billy Coleman from Where the Red Fern Grows. I am mm -hmm. off on those adventures in the woods, right? Like it was everything to me. Yeah. I mean, I first read Harriet the Spy when I was seven. <laughs> and I just, I was so, I thought she was so cool and so interesting and so smart and like yes she pissed off her friends but <laughs> they all you know the other kids in the class were kind of bullies and mean to her um but you know she also is very mean about her very close friends and i think that's that's one of the sort of lessons of the book right. um but yeah i mean that was when i first read it and then i read it I reread it many times over the years. I still have my copy from when I was seven and it is like falling apart because I just read that book so many times. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I mean, Harriet, yes, she's a spy quote unquote, but she's a reporter, you yeah. know? Um, and that really inspired me, I think as a kid. And that was what I, I was like, Oh, I want, this is what I want to do. Hmm. And the other piece about Harriet, I read Harriet the Spy, is that she's uh, she's very like bold in who she is. She like yeah. she seems very accepting of who she is. Yes, and you know, I'm thinking she eats a tomato sandwich every day. Yeah, and at one point, her mom is like, "Harriet, what? Like, don't you want to eat something else?" And she's like, "No, like this is what I like." Yeah, I like tomato sandwiches. Like, <laughs> what's your problem? Um, and it. Sorry, our gardeners are here, of course, because it's okay because Southern California. Be? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. So yeah. So that just also, I think, is such a good example sometimes of like parents sort of projecting onto their kids who they think they should be mm. or who they want them to be, and the kids. Are just like no this is who i am like just accept me for who i am i like yeah. tomato sandwiches this is what i want to eat um you know that seems like a kind of superficial example but i think it can be extrapolated into many other things yeah i i wonder are you um are you seen you know in your boy henry and your little child henry like are you seeing like little sort of you know, bits of his sort of like, this is Henry personality popping in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
I mean, and it's so interesting because it's not, it's, it's not really my personality. Mm. He's very into like order and where things go and wants everything to be clean and gets like upset when <laughs> there's dirt on his rug and remembers where like everything in the house belongs. Wow. Um, and I'm like, okay, like this is who he is. He's like a little obsessive, a little, you know, orderly, but this is what kind of, this is how he makes sense of the world. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, that is, that is who he is. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, I always like, I mentioned before, you know, most of my friends have, have kids and, and, and to see, yeah, you, you do see like similarities in like the parents, but like, you know, I just think about my own, like I have, uh, three siblings, two younger brothers and an older sister. And we are so different, like so vastly different. Um, it's just fascinating how it's that, so, how yeah, that works it's out. So interesting. You know? Yeah. And it's funny too, because my husband and I are both not, we're not especially orderly people, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, my husband's very into collecting and has a sort of like obsessive streak in that regard. And so I kind of see it in Henry in that way. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and Henry also is so interested in like how everything works. He wants to mm. you know take everything apart. He wants to figure out how everything works. And I see that in my husband also. Um, so that's another thing that is like, it's just interesting to see how these qualities, these traits manifest themselves yeah. in a child. Mm, I love that. So to go back to books for a second, I, I there was something you said in Thanks for Waiting that um, kind of had me rolling on the floor laughing, which was like, uh, you said something along the lines of like, you couldn't bring yourself to sleep with someone who thought that 15 books in your apartment mm. was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, yes, a woman after my own heart. Because like, <laughs> I mean, you see behind me, like we we are yeah. just flush with books. We had a book themed wedding, Dory. Like, Oh, wow. That's so cool. Books galore. Uh, my wife is a college uh, English professor. She teaches writing and stuff. So like books oh, are cool. our jam. And I I just love that 15 books. <laughs> yeah. Well, so to, to kind of explain this, I had broken up with a boyfriend with my long-term boyfriend, but we, we were just quote unquote broken up for the summer. So I had gotten a sublet um, and left most of my stuff in the apartment that we shared, but I brought my kind of like, these are the books I would save in the fire books with yeah. me. And so there were just like probably about 15 books there. Um, and so, and, you know, meanwhile, back in my old apartment, I had like, you know, three or four like towering bookshelves overflowing with books. And so when this guy said, wow, you have so many books, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just has, I don't know, um, a Maxim magazine in his bathroom or something. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. <laughs> I love that. Um, let's talk a little bit about like what the the thing that like I think hit my heart the most about reading your book is its message about like self empathy and having empathy around our 
past versions of ourselves. Yeah. So I've had to do a lot of work in this regard, like even going to EMDR and like oh, inner, wow. inner child work, like all that stuff. And it, it's been pretty crucial in my own sort of mental health journey. Um, talk a little bit about like your journey with sort of that, having empathy for self and past versions of yourself, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I think that was something that I really worked through when I was writing my memoir mm. because, you know, I had to kind of relive these past versions of myself many times over. Yeah. <laughs> um, so many edits. Kind of, yeah. So many edits and kind of process everything that had happened and retell it and also like re-examine it. And in the course of doing that, I found myself having just so much empathy for especially like the teenager and the young mm. adult that I was. Whereas I think before, it wasn't that I didn't have empathy. It was more just like, oh, I was so depressed then. Yeah. You know, kind of exactly dismissing it, but just like, oh God, like, thank God that's over. Like I sure. was, I was just... So there's so much self-loathing. Oh, I'm so different now, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, then I was able with the memoir, I was kind of able to look back on that and be like, wow, like I still, I really like care for that person. Mm. It wasn't just like, I can't just like dismiss them as being depressed. Oh, that was depressed me. Yeah. That's not me anymore. Well, like, yeah, it is me. It is still me. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I'd like to show myself some of the kindness that I don't, that I didn't show myself at the time. Mm. So yeah, that was a really kind of intense experience, I think. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love that writing a memoir can be that experience. Like, I, I, I think that's really profound. I, and I, I think that work is something I feel like we all need to do because I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to like should on everyone, but like I do think that, uh, to your point, like we do, you know, I'm 40. Mm -hmm. I still have very much a lot of those previous versions of myself within me, right? They're like core, yes. core tenants, right? They're core parts of me, and then some of those core parts of me. I need to investigate because maybe they're not true anymore, and maybe like the tools I used as a teenager uh, aren't working for me anymore, but it like takes the looking to realize, you know, oh, okay, the armor you wore here, like it served you, it was beautiful, it protected you or whatever, you, it, it, it served you for that time. I'm going to like honor it and then maybe let it go. But like, we have to look, we can't just, to your point, like be dismissive or just say like, oh, that was... I'm not that person anymore. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to do that. Um, I've 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 certainly struggled with that. The this self-empathy piece, uh I so I I lead uh I lead some workshops like for local colleges and stuff. And I I recently did one at um I think it was Chapman and the sort of the the main feedback, uh, which was very surprising, was I didn't know you could have empathy for yourself, mm. which oh. 
broke my heart. Yeah. Right? Wow. And it, I, I, and, and maybe that's just like a, um, maybe not sort of fully realizing what empathy is and what it can be. Right. Yeah. But like, I just like, I, it makes me so happy that you're talking about it and, and this, and you're, you've written this book and it's coming out. And like, I just like, I want people to understand that like empathy for self has to happen. It has, I mean, I feel like, like anything, we have to care for ourselves before we can properly care for others. Right. It's the same with empathy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, And, you know, I think another component of that for me at least is remembering that, I need to have empathy for my present self too. Yes. You know, it's not just re-evaluating my past self. It's reminding myself that, you know, I I need to give myself some grace now. <laughs> and yeah. Sometimes it's hard to remember to do that in the moment. It is hard. Uh, it is hard. Yeah. Um but we all deserve it. Um, I think, I think there is a, a cultural force at play. I think at times, and you guys talk about this a lot on Forever Thirty Five, which is like caring for yourself is selfish, or you know, like you have to sort of sacrifice yourself for others. You know, this mm-hmm. sort of altruistic leaning sort of thinking, and I, I think it's damaging. It's flawed, for sure. Yeah, yeah we. Um we just read a letter and e- sorry, we just read an email from um, a listener who told us this whole long story. And then at the end she said, am I just being selfish? Mm. And I was like, you, yes, you should be selfish. Your whole email was about how you've never put yourself first. And I think especially for women, sometimes it, it can yep. be really hard to not just put ourselves in that caretaker role yeah. and worry about other people's feelings before our own. Um, and so, yes, I, you know, I kind of think the word selfish is like this dirty word, especially for women, but like, Come on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I you're absolutely right in that there is also this cultural force at play that's like women have to be these beacons of strength. They have to yeah. do it all. They have to have careers. They have to yes. be moms. They have to, you know, give birth. Like I, I talked to um uh, um, sorry, Jessica Zucker, who wrote this book, mm, I had a miscarriage, yeah. mm-hmm. and sh- we talked a lot about like the, just the the um the ridicule and criticism uh, based around just like natural birth versus non natural birth, and and like totally. the the ridicule of like uh, are you glowing in the way that is 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 like accepted by magazines or whatever? Is your is your is your pregnancy bump like it doesn't you know it's like there's so much uh i mean and that's all patriarchy bullshit and i feel like so many of these systems that we're talking about just burn it all down just burn that shit to the ground (laughs) yes let's do it (laughs) let's do it let's do it so how how has your like since becoming a mom and you know uh 
I mean, you went through quite the journey to becoming a mom. Like I, I, and that I mentioned at the top, like the piece in your book about your IVF journey was emotional. Like it was, I, I teared up. Like it was like really compelling and emotional and hard to read at times. And I, I guess I just want to ask like, what, how has your, how, how have you been navigating this sort of like, I am a mom in the world. I am also a writer. I am multi-hyphenate. Like, how have you been navigating those feelings? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think my tendency is to just constantly be analyzing and questioning. Mm. And sometimes I just have to stop doing that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, kind of like be in the moment. Um, And I think with Henry, before he was born, I think a lot of my anxiety was, I channeled a lot of my anxiety into safe sleep Mm. and got like very obsessed with the idea of like, he needed to be always, you know, in a safe sleep environment. And there was like a whole Facebook group that I got really into and I and it wasn't until later that I was like oh this was how my anxiety around having a child was manifesting itself yeah you know did I like really think that my baby was going to die of SIDS like not really like there of course there was a very small chance that that was going to happen but like like deep down did I really think that was going to happen no Um, but I was like so obsessed with it. And so I think, I don't know, I've sort of like lost the thread of your question, but I'm just thinking like for me as a mom kind of balancing that of that idea of like, okay, is this a thing that I'm really anxious about? Hmm. Or is this just like a, a, I don't know. This is a Facebook group telling me I need to think about this. Yeah. yeah. And, and that I think is just a constant thing for me with, with motherhood and, and trying to kind of like find my own way Mm -hmm. um, is a challenge sometimes, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's not like we uh, have, you know, only a few titles or a few pieces of research to look upon. Like there is a, a wealth of like people telling you what to do and what should be done yes. and how it, well, this is the right way. And this, this is the wrong way. And if you do it this way, you're a bad mom and you're, a, you know, there, there's so much of that yes. to navigate. Yeah. Yes. There's so much and it comes from everywhere and it comes from you know, the most unexpected places. So trying to kind of like drown out that noise is a constant challenge, I think. Well, and it, it it is, it absolutely is. And I, I, it leads me sort of like to thinking about this other piece of uh, your book, which is kind of like about belonging and ultimately Mm -hmm. the question of like, where do we fit in the world? Where do we belong? And I, I think the answer is we belong to us, right? Like that's yeah. it. That's what we can control. That's 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 the self sort of awareness and acceptance that that we can that's that's our little world and that's that's what we can do. Anything outside of that's like it's just not 
a space that we have any control over. And that's, I think as, as, as maybe anxious people, sometimes that's hard to accept because like we want to like the controlling is a sort of force for trying to sort of manage the anxiety, but totally doesn't work. No. And, you know, I think I saw a lot of that during the pandemic Mm. where for a while I was getting really upset about, you know, people on my Instagram who were like eating out at restaurants when, Mm -hmm. you know, before vaccines were here and, you know, just doing things that I wasn't doing because I didn't think they were safe. And then I just had to be like, this is not my, this is not my problem. Yeah. I can't control this getting upset about the fact that this woman is eating at a restaurant or going to a hotel is not going to do anything. Yeah. You know? And, and I know that that was another kind of example of like, well, I'm feeling really anxious about the pandemic. I feel out of control. There's nothing I can really do. So I'm going to focus on these people who I think are behaving recklessly. Yep. And once I kind of realized that I was like, I need to, I need to let this go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, because the only person, like you said, the only person whose behavior I can truly control is my own. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to eat in restaurants right now. I'm not going to go to hotels, but I cannot let the fact that these other people are doing it affect my life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is, I think, very relatable for folks the past year. Uh, I think there's been a lot of anxiety and certainly fear right of of Mm -hmm. like we basically just like for a time lost all of our anchors right we we were anchorless right we we lost our routines we lost these things and then we're sort of swimming in an ocean and we want to latch on to something that like and and maybe it's judgment maybe it's like uh sort of lashing out or whatever i i certainly did that you know um when folks started like hoarding things right we're like what are they doing? Like, can't they, can't they be good people? And of course, like I have to step back. It's like, where's that coming from? Like, how do I know? How do I know what frame of mind they're in? Right? Like, I don't know what's going on, but that's, you know, that's just, that just takes work. That just takes time and we all struggle with it for sure. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious, uh, as a reader, as a as a bibliophile, a book nerd, if you will, um, obviously you've been working on your book. Uh, you you're in publicity mo- publicity mode right now. Do you have like a list uh, of a few books that you want to like get to uh, and to read eventually once sort of like the storm calms? Yes, I do. Um, there is a new book called God Spare the Girls mm. by Kelsey McKinney. It's a novel. Um, and it's about, actually, I, maybe you'll be interested in this. It's set in North Texas, and it's about two sisters um, whose father is the head pastor of an evangelical megachurch. Ah. Um, and they discover, like, a secret about him. Interesting. Um, and, you know, kind of, like, upends everyone's everyone's lives in the, in the town. Nice. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited to read that book. Um, I'm very excited to read. Yeah. I'm very excited to read the other black girl, 
um, which is it takes place in the publishing industry. It's about a young editorial assistant who is the only black employee at a publishing company. And then another black woman starts working there mm. and it's a, mm. uh, from what I understand, it's it's like uh, it's a thriller, I guess. Um, okay. But it also has a lot of like very trenchant, you know, kind of societal um, observations. Yeah, I do wonder if we're going to get more of stuff like that. Thinking about like real life things that happen. Like, did you hear about the thing that happened at like Bon Appetit and that you know that whole thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I wonder if like we're going to get more sort of either fiction or nonfiction about speaking to that kind of thing more explicitly. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I uh I I am I mean, I I I mentioned at the top I'm very lucky cuz I I I got to read your book, but I'm lucky just broadly because I get books sent to me a lot and mm-hmm. as a as a reader it's uh it's uh, i feel yeah very very lucky it's wonderful yeah. um uh the book that i am uh wanting to read yeah, that is not sort of associated with the podcast is uh ashley ford's new book mm-hmm. uh somebody's somebody's daughter, somebody's daughter. Yeah, yeah that looks amazing yeah, yeah i'm excited to read that too yeah so couple more things uh and maybe you don't have much to say on this but i there was a moment in your book where you mentioned the mountain goats and mm-hmm. i wanted to maybe take a couple of minutes to just uh fawn over our mutual love of the mountain goats uh question mark sure yes i love the mountain goats good oh i'm so glad to hear so favorite album um Tallahassee. excellent that I think that's my number two. Sunset Tree is probably my favorite. Okay, all right, fair. Uh, there's some. I mean, there's just something like I, I mentioned, like abusive father, violent father yeah, before. Like totally. it, there's that whole sort of uh, story to that uh, that yes. album. That's just so yes. powerful. Um, yeah, Tallahassee. What have you ever seen them live? I have seen them live. Um, I saw them live at Bowery Ballroom in probably in New York and probably. 2011, nice. 2012, maybe. I'm trying to think what album they would have been touring. So uh, I saw them in 2007 in San Francisco at the Independent. Uh, they were touring the Get Lonely uh, album. Okay. Which came out that year. Hmm. I, I like. Been. Probably. Hmm, I don't know. Oh, All Eternals Deck, maybe? That sounds right. That that was around that time, I yeah. think. Yeah. What do you uh, uh what do you like about the Mountain Goats? Okay, wait, I just Googled it. I think it was <laughs> the I think it was the show in March two thousand eleven. Okay. Nice. What I like about the Mountain Goats. I like that they're so they they're so they're they're very raw um you know they talk so openly and honestly about trauma <laughs> and yeah. abuse um i like their music um 
you know, I actually haven't listened to them in quite some time. So now you're making me want to listen to them again. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, John Darnielle, uh, they're just so versatile. Like they, like they have an, like they made an album goths, like that came out a few years ago that was like, I think they just excluded any sort of percussion just as a sort of an experiment. So they're like, I, I feel like their range is, is quite vast and, I just love his lyrical style, uh, and I love his brain. He's written a couple yeah. books too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, this is not the John Dar- John John Darnell show. Um, <laughs> I just uh, needed that uh, tangent because I'm just a huge fan. Uh, so, what? So the book comes out June 29th. Yes, and. Uh, it's already a smashing success. So <laughs> we talked a little bit about like what success looks like. Like, do you, are you, th- are you trying to put stuff on your shoulders in terms of like this many sold or like, what is like, what, how are you trying to navigate? Like specifically, like what success looks like for this book? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I said on forever 35 that I wanted to make the New York times bestseller list which was like, it wasn't facetious, like I, I do, but I think it was also kind of like, a, oh, this probably won't happen. But mm. then I'm also like, did I say it like that? Because I'm like, just protecting myself. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm like, afraid to articulate my like, actual goal. It's, it's vulnerable to say. Yeah. Gonna, yeah, it's vulnerable. Um, But you know, I think that the symbolism of being on the bestseller list is what is really important to me because that means that a lot of people are like buying your work and reading it. Yeah. And I just, you know, I, I really want it to resonate with people and I want it to be a book that, you know, people tell their friends about. Um, and that to me feels like success. Um, so, you know, no, I don't have a, I don't have a specific number of books that I, that I want to sell, but, I'm just, I'm just really hoping that it like sparks conversations and, um, and it makes people think about their own lives. I, I believe it will. I mean, I, I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, truly, I. Thank you. <laughs> I read all the time, and I, 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 I think you know, and I'm, I'm a white cisgendered man, right? And like, this yeah. is a book you know, uh, I think for everyone, I, I think there is so much sort of, uh, universally there that we can latch onto in regards to self-empathy and belonging and, you know, feeling caught up in the systems that make us feel less than, or we should be doing that. Yeah. There's just so much there. I think that's so human that I think so many, uh, especially all you listeners, like go order this book, uh, oh, pronto because it's, uh, it's wonderful. It'll be your Thank summer you so read. Much. I hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. Are you uh Are you doing any like book club things with like groups and things like that? Um, not not as of yet. We are putting together a kind of like book club kit, you know, with nice. like session questions and some accompanying photos and other sort of goodies um so i hope that people who might want to read this for their book clubs will take advantage of that that's cool yeah 
I think it would be a great book club book because it's it's Thank you. it's hilarious and it's also you know meaningful and there's a lot, lot there's a lot there to unpack and talk about. Yeah, Thank I love you. that. So um, let's talk about empathy heroes. Okay. So we always like wrap up the show talking about like the people in our lives. Uh, could be even characters from stories like a Harriet the Spy, for example, uh, who are empathetic, compassionate, sort of people we 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 look up to. Uh, I will go first, give you a second okay. to think about your um, empathy hero. I am just going to call out. So you've mentioned it a few times, uh, your podcast, Forever 35. Uh, listeners, if you aren't listening to Forever 35, you should. Uh, yes, I'm going to say should. Uh, I. Forever 35 is my empathy hero. I'll, I'll just say it because it's, I don't know. I, um, there's certainly a lot there that like, like butt care, for example, like that's not a thing I do. Right. right. <laughs> uh, and there's certainly like, you know, sort of like, uh, sort of female identified specific things that I'm not going to like relate to, but like, yeah, the vibe of the show is self-care, it's honoring self, it's joyful, it's hilarious, it makes me feel seen, it's mm-hmm. um it's uh it's a warm bath. It's a Aww. it's a beautiful uh it's a beautiful thing. I love it. I'm a huge fan and it's why you uh and Kate and the podcast are empathy heroes. Well, my empathy hero is going to be Kate. <laughs> well, there you go. Please, Kate. Talk about Kate. I love Kate. Kate is amazing. Kate is my empathy hero because Kate is really one of the most thoughtful people I've ever met. She's so kind. She's so generous. Um, she's just so thoughtful in a way that I feel like I am not, but I've hmm. learned so much from her. I think I've become a more thoughtful and generous person since, you know, starting to work with her and be, being, being friends with her. Um, and yeah, she just has like bottomless, seemingly bottomless wells of empathy. Um, so she, she is my empathy hero. I love that. And I, I love that you included in thanks for waiting the, you know, the moment you two met, uh, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, all right. So Dory, where can the listeners connect with you? Obviously order. Thanks for waiting. All of that lovely stuff. Yeah. So I have a website. It is Dory dash com. I don't want to talk about why I don't own Dory com anymore. Very dramatic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am on Twitter at Dory. I'm on Instagram at Dory. Um, I do have a public Facebook page at Dory Shafrier writer. And you can buy my book wherever books are sold. Uh, preferably your local bookshop, uh, folks. Yes. Um, and bookshop.org is also a, a great resource. And Forever 35, subscribe to that podcast. Um, yeah, please subscribe. Yeah. Well, Dory, thank you for being a part of You Me Empathy. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Oh, you're welcome. And to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring, pale blue dot. We have each other. It's Yumi Empathy. Empathy.